KISU City Club is presented by the Idaho Humanities Council, enhancing the quality of life in Idaho by broadening public awareness, appreciation, and understanding of literature, history, philosophy, and other humanities disciplines. More details are on the web at idahohumanities.org. Greetings to everyone. Happy holidays. It's wonderful to have you here for a very special presentation on an issue that affects all Idahoans and is of deep interest uh, here in southeastern Idaho. We are, as Tim indicated, very fortunate today to be joined by Rocky Barker, whom, as you all know, began his career here at the Post Register, uh, was a prize-winning reporter for 11 years here in Idaho Falls, and since 1985 has been at the Idaho Statesman, where he is uh, serving not only as the energy and environmental reporter, but as master of all trades when called upon by his editors. The reality is, is that uh, Rocky is regarded, widely regarded as the dean of environmental reporters here in the Northwest. And his, his stories and his writings are often adopted by newspapers across the West. He is an expert on the subject today that, we'll be, that he'll be discussing on the Boulder White Clouds controversy. Since 1985, he has indeed uh, covered reported on and written widely on the controversy surrounding the Boulder White Clouds, the largest roadless area in the nation that spans two mountains and three major river drainages. He has hiked in this area with our Congressman Mike Simpson, who joins us today. Welcome, Mike. He's hiked in that region and has uh, spoken on many, many occasions with Congressman Simpson about his own bill, the Central Idaho uh, De Economic Development and Recreation Act, uh, on which he's worked diligently for a dozen years to obtain passage by Congress. It would protect, as designated wilderness, some 3,000 miles. Now, Rocky is also, to show his bipartisan nature, he has also hiked through the region with the Secretary of Interior, Sally Jewell, and spoken on many occasions with members of the Obama administration about the administration's interest in establishing a, a national monument to protect some 700,000 acres. And therein lies a dispute and a controversy, and Rocky's going to share his thoughts and insights with us on that subject today. He doesn't spend all of his time with congressmen and cabinet members. He's a man of the people, a man of wilderness, and he's on the ground with motorcyclists and snowmobilers and bicyclists and ranchers and everybody else that will be affected by this crucial decision, including those in Custer and Fremont counties. It's a great pleasure to have Rocky here. I've admired his writings for many, many years. Occasionally, I've been lucky enough to be to have been an interview subject. He's always treated me very professionally, probably more kindly than I deserve. Please welcome Rocky Barker to the podium. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. Thank you, Tim, for inviting me. It is great to come home. I love Idaho Falls. Raise my kids here. Um, I have been lucky to uh, have moved to Boise. Uh, I've, I've got this great job that just sends me all over this state. And uh, David's right. One of the things about uh, Boulder White Clouds is, you know, I've been into that area with motorcyclists, with snowmobilers. I've been on horseback. I've hiked it, uh, mountain biked it. Uh, so I've kind of gotten to see, uh, see it from a lot of different ways. And, I, and I'm a hunter, and uh, I wrote a book called uh, The Fly Fisher's Guide to Idaho. So I, I've gotten to see this area uh, in a lot of ways. But really, my true guide to this area was someone many of you uh, shared uh, my love for, Rob Brady. And uh, Rob uh, had, a, has a, had a cabin right on the edge of the White Clouds, and... We spent many days uh, hiking uh, up from uh, the East Fork uh, up all the way into the uh, big boulders. And uh, he really is the guy who taught me to love the White Clouds. 
What I'm going to talk today about is I'm going to talk about the various, I'm going to give a little bit of history, how we got here. I'm going to talk about the, the various interests a little bit. And I'm going to talk about these two things that are, are out there right now, this idea of a national monument and this idea of wilderness. So what's the difference between these two? And I think hopefully when I'm done, uh, you, you folks can decide what you think is the right thing we ought to be doing. I will say this, that I think no matter, it appears to me at this point that by the end of 2015, we are either going to have a national monument or we're going to have a white, boulder white clouds wilderness. Um, I have talked to many people in the administration. They're clearly ready to do that. They have deferred to uh, our congressman, Congressman Simpson. Um, and so they're, uh, you know, that I've been led to believe that if he can't get a bill through Congress, they're going to act. And don't believe me, believe him. He's talked to him too. So let me start, you know, most, most of you at least know where, this, where these mountains are. There, you know, there really is, it's about 700,000 acres of, uh, of roadless land. It, uh, you know, reaches up there between uh, uh, Chalice and Mackey, you know, just opposite the Lost River Range. Uh, all the way up to the peak of Castle Peak, which I first saw, frankly, from the Sawtooths in 1985. Uh, and then uh, uh, it reaches up to the Salmon River and then on the west side into the uh, Sawtooth Valley. And as you know, so much of the attention for this place has focused on that side, on the Sawtooth Valley, because it all really began with uh, a proposal to build a mine uh, there at Castle Peak in the late 60s. And there are people in this room, I think, who participated in that debate. Uh, I see Jerry Jane back there. Uh, and this was a, quite a fight uh, amongst people who wanted to build that molybdenum mine and people who wanted to preserve this area. And one of those people who wanted to preserve this area, and the guy who wrote really, I believe, the first editorials against it was Rob Brady. And, you know, the white clouds carry this special place in Idaho mind. I don't care what you think of the issue. It's pretty hard to argue that the white clouds and didn't change Idaho history because it was that fight that Governor Cecil, that Cecil Andrus uh, made the centerpiece of his 1970 campaign. 1970, I remind you, the year of the first Earth Day. The White Clouds was on the cover of Life magazine because of that uh, fight. And many people, most people, uh, believe he won that race in part because of uh, his stand on the White Clouds. So the white clouds themselves, uh, you know, were a kind of a special place in our history. Now, in environmental history, it has it has an even stronger statement because. So here's the way the environmental community looks at it, and you can argue with them or not. But so C. Sandris wins the race to become governor of Idaho, serves two terms. Jimmy Carter picks him to be interior secretary. As Interior Secretary, he convinces Jimmy Carter to set aside hundreds of, uh, or, you know, I think 100 million acres as uh, a national monument in Alaska. And he did that because by setting it aside as a national monument, a power, I might add, that the, pre that the president has uh, under the Antiquities Act of 1906 to designate an area with a simple signing of a pen on a proclamation. And so Jimmy Carter protected this huge expanse of wildlands across Alaska 
that eventually pushed Congress to pass the Alaska Lands Act. And, you know, that was the biggest wilderness protection, many national parks, many national refuges, and it wouldn't happen if Idahoans hadn't elected Cecil Anderson in 1970. So, and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the white clouds. So you can see why it kind of goes up through people's minds. So right after uh, Cecil was elected, he, Frank Church, Jim McClure, um, Orville uh, Hansen from here, and uh, he was then a congressman, they sat down and they developed the uh, bill that protected the Sawtooth National Recreation Act in, that includes the, uh, the white clouds. And as a part of that law, they said, we're going to come back to the, uh, the, white, the boulders and the white clouds and, and study them for wilderness and maybe even a national park uh, later. And they did the national park study, but it was a pretty quiet affair because, frankly, politically, um, I, I, this whole, one, this whole group of folks uh, from the site, the site environmentalist who had really driven this protection program, really, if they had their way, I think they would have had a national park. Boyd uh, Norton, the guy who uh, pushed the button on one of those melted-down melted reactors out at the INL, uh, he was the, one of the leaders of this, and that's what he said. He, he would today, if he had his choice, he'd turn the SNRA into an entire thing into a national park. Well, you know, Idahoans haven't wanted to do that and for a variety of reasons. And I will tell you that a lot of my friends in Boise kind of say, hey, look, you know, it's, it's our place. Uh, they don't want it to be, uh, to, to be like Yellowstone. They like having it as kind of our own little place. So as the studies went on to do this as a wilderness, now in 1964, Congress passed the Wilderness Act. 50 years ago. Frank Church led that effort. If you've, uh, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to watch uh, Outdoor Idaho's wonderful program on it. Uh, they went to every wilderness area in the state. It's really pretty. And Frank Church played a key role in passing that. And the Sawtooths uh, are protected. They were protected in the 1972 legislation immediately as wilderness. But there's been this whole series of roadless reviews that have been carried out uh, and, of course, they've all included the, bo the, white, the boulder white clouds because it's just a spectacular uh, wilderness area. Well, it also has become a very popular, uh, particularly motorcycle, uh, backcountry motorcycle riding area. And there's a you know, really top-notch uh, trail system through there, uh, Germania Creek and... Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to... Uh, uh, Grand Prize are the two big trail systems in there. Uh, and then, so, and I would say that over time, that was the, that was the uh, debate for a long time was between the motorized users and the uh, non-motorized. It's not an area that has a lot of uh, market, marketable timber. It does have uh, mineral resources still, but most of those have been, were, you know, have been locked up through the uh, previous legislation, and the little pieces that people still do, uh, you know, they've kind of played out and checked through most of it, and, uh, uh, and so the real issue has been recreation for, for most of this. But there's also grazing in there, and uh, the East Fork ranchers have, uh, have used this area for, you know, for many years uh, and run their cattle. But the Forest Service has been getting tougher and tougher on their grazing permits, making it increasingly uh, hard for them to have uh, the numbers of cows that they had been running historically uh, in the area. And so part of the whole drive for, uh, for this has been they've had to deal with those folks. And... Basically, I started covering the wilderness of this when uh, Governor uh, Andrus and uh, Senator McClure put together a wilderness bill back in 1987. And I had, the, I had just come to Idaho Falls, 
And my job, uh, as I was sent out to do, was to go to, I went into all of these proposed wilderness areas with the various different groups. So I went into places with the snowmobilers. I went up uh, Timber Creek Pass with uh, Jeff and and Adina Cook uh, from here in Idaho Falls uh, uh, on on, uh, motorcycle. Um, I backpacked uh, up into uh, the Boulder White Clouds and some other areas. And so, and and I horsepacked into some areas. So I I went in on all the various different ways and Senator McClure and uh, uh, Governor Andrews had had written a bill that protected Boulder White Clouds, also protected by my dad, Mount Bora. Uh, and uh, those that bill, basically the environmental community and everybody uh, and most of the other people said, we just don't want this. The environmental community, it wasn't big enough. There was, uh, for the motorized people, any wilderness was too much. And for the timber industry, they couldn't get the certainty they wanted out of it. The mining industry didn't see anything in it. The cattle industry didn't see any advantage to them. And they killed that bill. Now, I will tell you today that most of the environmentalists who are still in the game think they, uh, that, uh, that are now very involved in today's national monument and wilderness debate uh, Rick Johnson, uh, Craig Yerke uh, from Idaho Conservation League, and Craig Yerke of the Wilderness Society think they made a terrible mistake in the 1980s. They think they should have they should have compromised, and and they've paid for that. So, it but they didn't quit, and they've not quit, and they have people, I guess, as uh, uh, to their quote left, I don't know that they're leftists, but they're people who would like even more protection than they're than they're pushing for. But uh, particularly Rick Johnson, in the early uh, in the, uh, uh, soon after Mike Simpson became a congressman, those two met, and they realized that they had some common ground. At the time, I think it was more like this. And I think it's gotten closer as time's gone on. But Mike Simpson uh, took on a task that um, Senator Crapo, when he had sat in the same seat, had tried and couldn't pull off. He tried to get the groups together for another try at Wilderness. It died. Representative Simpson decided, I'm going to give it a try. Uh, About now, gosh, it's been 13 years Something like that. So, uh, and I used to, and I went to some of the first meetings. He'd sit in every year. Idaho Conservation League holds a uh, Wild Idaho Conference in May, and you should have seen the first of those meetings. He'd get up there and start talking to these environmentalists, and they would like, "Who the heck are you?" <laughs> and it was they. It was actually quite uh, heated. Because you know he was, not, you know he didn't come from their world, they didn't come from his, but he was willing to come over, and he sat through many, many meetings before, and and he hiked the area, and he went into Custer County, and he sat down. And he said, "Look, I'm not doing this as a wilderness bill. I'm going to do this as as he called the bill. I want to do the only way we're going to do this is we're going to make it better for uh, people in Custer County." and for the environmental community and the motorized community and all of them. And so he put together his bill over a course of, it must have been six years before he actually had a bill. And when he got it, um, he had all those elements involved, but he didn't have everybody, you know, patting him on the back (laughs) because he'd forced compromises that many people wish they didn't have to make. And... But he came very close, and, and, but I watched him. As time went on, I watched him change. Uh, because the more and more he spent time up in the white clouds, the more he really has come to love that area. And I've hiked, I've hiked with him, and you know it's, it's hard not to fall in love with the place. It's just a spectacular, beautiful, uh, lovely spot that we Idahoans have. And... So he tried, he came 
so close uh, in 2004 uh, that uh, he, it, it was on the final going home legislation, ready to go. Uh, his close friend, uh, um, uh, Boehner, had, uh, not speaker at the time, majority leader Boehner at the time, uh, had, uh, uh, had made sure that it got onto that bill. But the outgoing speaker, uh, Denny Hastert, who actually was from where I grew up, first time I saw Denny Hastert, he was a wrestling coach, and I was getting pinned by one of his people. <laughs> and so he's a pretty good scrapper, and what he did is he pulled that uh, wilderness bill off and put his own uh, uh, tax break for a local company in Illinois on, and here we are. We're still in the, in the game. Well, C. Sandris, who's been very supportive of... Uh, Congressman Simpson's efforts over the years, finally kind of got, in 2010, the last time the bill died, and, and it died when the motorized uh, recreation community said, we're going to kill it, and they did, and they got uh, Senator Risch. You know, if you've probably heard during the campaign some of his explanations, I was there, Senator Risch walked away from the bill, and uh, he didn't. He could have. He still could have probably worked out a deal, but he he had decided to, he, to kill it at the time, and so the bill died in 2010. And C. Sandris, no friend of uh, Jim Rich, said, "That's it for me. I'm done. I'm going to go, and I'm going to push for a national monument." Now let me tell you about a national monument a little bit. I don't think really a lot of people understand it. And I understand why, because, heck, a national monument can be just about whatever a president decides to do. He has a lot of room to do a lot of things. And uh, courts have backed him up to have far more um, choice to do things than I think uh, the authors of the Antiquities Act envisioned. But the fact that the first guy to use it was there, signed the bill, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, you know, it, it's, they, that set a precedent that makes it pretty hard uh, to overcome. And what, a, what it, essentially a president uh, can designate an area and say, this is how you will protect this area in a proclamation, and he can, he can, he would, it'll include a map, and he will say, I want uh, this area to be off. Uh, I want to protect this, whatever, whatever values he's trying to protect. And it could be anything from, uh, you know, uh, what originally I think people were thinking of, you know, uh, uh, ruins of, of uh, uh, ancient Indians to, you know, a mountain. Or it could be uh, a watershed. Um, it, the Grand Canyon, of course, is the best uh, uh, you know model. They, that people who wanted to do some mining in the Grand Canyon, Arizona was all for it, and Teddy said nope, and uh, he signed a proclamation. So, Andrus's initial uh, involvement, though, in the in 2010, 2011, when he went, actually he, when he went to the administration. He wanted them to come in and be really tough. He wanted them to do what he had done in Alaska. He wanted to protect far more than anybody really thought would be protectable and uh, force the people who didn't want to do anything to come to the table. Over time, he changed his mind in part because the Obama administration really didn't embrace that idea. For whatever you want to say about uh, President Obama and his administration, when it comes to Western issues, he doesn't want to stick his thumb on Westerners. You really don't hear war of the West rhetoric even out of the Western uh, delegations on this because the Obama administration has spent a lot of their time trying to collaborate. There, uh, I, I, when I just hiked uh, in the South Hills of Twin Falls with Sally Jewell a couple of months ago, 
She had was out there with uh, Senator Crapo and Senator Risch uh, on a tour of Brown's Ridge above uh, Salmon Falls Reservoir, looking over uh, the stuff they're trying to do to protect uh, that area and to keep uh, sage grouse from being on the list. And they're working with a lot of ranchers to do that. So they didn't go. They didn't go for uh, Cease's idea, but they haven't. But they have. Uh, they do. They are interested in doing a national monument, and uh, one of the big changes that's happened in the last year and a half, two years, has been uh, John Podesta uh, joined the administration. He was uh, chief of staff under uh, under President Clinton, and he was involved in a lot of the national monuments that uh, Bruce Babbitt had done, including. Uh, the enlargement of Craters of the Moon, which I spent quite a bit of time with uh, Secretary Babbitt as he was doing it. And so I watched basically how Babbitt went about doing that expansion. And again, at this point, he was trying to be as, quote, collaborative as he could be. He, he was at least trying to meet the needs of the ranchers. But as uh, uh, Bud Purdy, uh, a rancher who was there, on, on a couple of the tours I was with, said to me later, he, he just died uh, earlier this year, but Bud told me he didn't follow through. It was a mess. You know, he was, you know, it, the problem with the National Monument is we don't all get to go, oh, look, we wanted you to change this language a little bit here and here. The president does this. It happens behind closed doors. And so when it comes out, it is what it is. And then what there will be afterwards, theoretically, then they'll put they'll write a management plan based on whatever that proclamation is, and so people have some say then. But it isn't it isn't going to be a wilderness bill, as uh, Congressman Simpson is trying to uh, write, is going to be a locally created document. Whether you're for or against wilderness, you're going to have a say in his bill, if. You know, if it moves forward, and and I think we'll know. You know, we're going to know in six months. We're going to know probably before six months on whether that that locally driven approach uh, has a chance. Um, but I have, uh, uh, like I told you, I there are folks in the administration who have made it pretty clear to me that it's going to happen, and they I. Think about, the, think about the partisan politics side of this. Do Democrats really want to give a Republican a victory on one of the biggest environmental issues in the, in the nation? I mean, when they say this is the largest roadless area in the nation, uh, in the environmental community, that's pretty big stuff. That's important. And so there are, I can tell you, there are people in the administration who don't like the idea of Mike Simpson getting the credit. But you know, uh, there's other people in the administration, like Sally Jewell, who want this to get this done, and they, and they've told, she's told him, she's told me, that she'll do anything she can to get his wilderness bill passed. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're at at this point, and um, I hope that kind of lays out for people uh, all this, and I'm ready to take more questions. And uh, thanks again for having me back to my hometown. I love this here. I means a lot. Thank you very much. Well, Rocky, thanks very much for that insight, insightful review and analysis of this crucial issue. Um, we have a number of very good questions here from our audience today. Uh, let's start with a general question. Some wonder, why do we need this designation? The area seems to be pretty well managed now. Groups get access. What drives the uh, the move for either a national monument or indeed wilderness uh, legislative protection? That's a good question. I think I think that the main driver has been the desire uh, among many people in the environmental community to protect uh, the the area, the, the area for wilderness. Wilderness, of course, uh, is the strongest and. Uh, um, most restrictive uh, designation you can give public land, and that 
you know, that has, you know, that's been behind uh, people's interest going back to the early 70s. And so as, as that's gone on, there, you know, in the early 70s, there was hardly any motorized use in there. And those trails, you know, were not, the only motorized use were bulldozers and, uh, and pickup trucks of some pretty good miners that I knew who, uh, you know, were small-time small guys, and they'd build their roads and they'd do their stuff, but they weren't doing it for recreation. It was their work. Guys like, uh, um, you know, Mr. Getty. And these guys were, uh, you know, hard workers, and, and, and it was, so that was a different thing. But at beginning, particularly in the late 70s and their 80s, you know, the, the motorcycles took off, and they got trail systems, par, you know, partially paid for by uh, tax money, and that developed this kind of conflict. And the, what my environmental friends tell me, and I wasn't here, but Rob used to say this all the time to me, is... The Forest Service didn't do its job protecting the wilderness values. They let these motorcycles come in and do these trails. And so those folks still feel very strongly, and there is a whole group of people right now. In fact, what's one of the interesting things about this, the, right now uh, there's a woman named Lynn Stone, who's the head of the uh, Boulder White Clouds Council, and she is embracing Mike Simpson's wilderness bill instead of the national monument that the Idaho Conservation League and the Wilderness Society are proposing because she thinks they've sold out. Thank you, Rocky. Uh, let's get down into the nitty-gritty of, of some of these possibilities. Uh, will the motorized trails still be accessible? What about handicap access to these lands? How might, it be, how might either of those areas be affected by one designation or the other? Actually, what's interesting about the National Monument and in the development of this, and of course, I'm only going on the proposals that the uh, um, Wilderness Society and Idaho Conservation League have made to the administration, but as I see it, basically the area when the map gets driven, all the motorized, all or most of the motorized trails that are in there now are going to remain. That's what I've been told. You know, who knows how, how that'll end up. Maybe this stretch here might be, we don't know, we won't know until the map's out. Uh, and they cut a deal with the mountain bike community. And that included allowing mountain bikes into a place called Ants Basin. It's a beautiful uh, high mountain basin just over the hill from 4th of July Creek that, um, you know, Bourne Lakes in it, and and that now under that deal that the ICL and Wilderness Society signed with uh, mountain bikers, uh, the mo mountain bikes would be allowed in that area, and the same with the white uh, with the uh, Castle uh, Divide Trail, which uh, you know is right up into the heart of it, and the s snowmobilers I talked to uh, up in uh, Stanley. If they get the area they want where they can get up into, like Washington Basin, up into the area that they can look into uh, Castle Peak, into the Castle Peak Basin, they, they told me they'd be satisfied. But, of course, they also want to keep all the other trails, like uh, uh, Grand Prize and stuff like that. So, uh, the under, we won't, I can't tell you right now because uh, Senators, I mean, we're, Congressman Simpson hasn't showed me his latest map, and I don't know that I'll know his latest map. But I think that they'll, uh, you know, his, his original bills protected almost all those trails. There were only a couple of trails that would have closed. Grand Prize was going to close under the original bill. Frog Lake, another very popular trail, was going to be uh, uh, closed to motorized. I would be surprised if uh, at least Frog Lake isn't... Uh, uh, stay open to motorized no matter what happens. Grand Prize probably, you know, that if Grand Prize doesn't, I know that's going to be very controversial in the environmental community. So that's kind of where we're, and you could get down little details that people who know it could tell you about all kinds of, let me get back to handicap though. I have walked uh, in the handicap trail with a lot of people on uh, 
who were on uh, wheelchairs with uh, Congressman Simpson on a trail right behind the, uh, in the boulders, right behind the Sawtooth National Recreation Headquarters. One of the things about Simpson's uh, CEDRA bill is it had a whole lot of things for a whole lot of people uh, beyond the wilderness. Now, they didn't get things exactly the way they want, and I can tell you, Wayne Butts is here, and he, there were a lot of things that he was hoping for that, uh, frankly, uh, are very controversial, but they were, you know, he would hope to, for instance, they were hoping to get... Uh, uh, some of the, some land transferred so that they could do some things. Stanley wanted some rent land transferred, but they did get a lot of money. They do have a, a nice uh, um, um, hall in uh, in Chalice, uh, uh, civil hall that uh, that came out of that. And so there were a whole lot of things that uh, Congressman Simpson was able to do, and one of them was this handicap trail. And I think there's probably still some other opportunity for some handicap trails, too. Thank you very much. Uh, let's talk a little bit for a moment about where different groups here in Idaho are lining up. Are they behind the monument designation or, or the Simpson bill? What's your perspective on where the mining and the... Uh, first, we'll start. Where, what's your perspective on where the mining groups stand on one designation or the other? You know, I haven't heard much from the mining groups, but I would, I would guess that they would probably prefer the uh, Simpson approach because the monument includes the entire uh, or most of the East Fork uh, watershed, including some areas that uh, at least some min miners probably would like to get access to. Am I right, Wayne? Yeah, and, on, and most of those were already worked out in, in the earlier wilderness uh, conversations. Yeah. Now, Rocky, what about the ranchers? Are they lining up behind one designation or the other? Um, I would tell you that the ranchers are being very quiet, and I think the last person they want talking about what they're doing is me. Am I right, Wayne? <laughs> well, Wayne I be Butts, over by there? the way, is a chairman of the Custer County Commission, deeply involved in this, smart guy. He's and uh, I, and I got to tell you, I mean, he's been skeptical about all this stuff, as most people in Custer County are. And I don't know where he, I haven't talked to him uh, lately about these two things, and we'll find out as time goes on. I don't think, I, I, I think everybody's going to have to make some decisions in the next month about where they want to stand. Now, as you know, Blaine County seems to be lining up firmly behind uh, at least some designation one or the other. On the other hand, as you also know, uh, recently, in fact, in this last November ballot, in a non-binding vote, both Custer and Fremont County voters indicated beyond 90% their adamant opposition to a national monument. What do you say to the idea that there ought to be local control and local influence over this issue? Hey, I'm down with that. I don't have a big problem with that. But that means locals have to, like, acknowledge that there are other interests than theirs. And I think one of the things, now, it gives me an opening. <laughs> I, I didn't want to talk uh, in my main talk about this because I cover the Boulder White Clouds really as a journalist, and, and I don't have, I have, I, I, you know, I love the area. I'm, I'm, I'm shameless about what my, I care about values. But if you tell me whether they should do anything, nothing, do Simpson's bill or a national monument, I really don't have a position. But when you're talking about the uh, Yellowstone, uh, uh, Idaho Yellowstone Caldera national monument proposal, I have to admit I ha am on one side because it started with my newspaper, the idea that we would take uh, we started with Mesa Falls based on one of our readers, a snowmobiler, and protecting the area, uh, about 200,000 acres, uh, you know, basically from Big Springs to uh, Mesa Falls and uh, Warm Springs down to the Wyoming border. And uh, uh, my main interest in all of that has been about protect, keeping the geothermal resources that are tied there in the caldera uh, from being developed. 
Uh, now, um, again, as he was leaving, uh, C. Sandris protected all of the geothermal resources on the public land, but I'd like to make sure that there aren't any uh, opportunity because I, I knew a scientist, one of the guys who invented one of the spectrometers and worked at the University of Chicago, Irving Friedman, who told me, uh, he then worked for the USGS, hydrogeologists, and said, you know, if we do that kind of development, we could threaten our geysers. And so I feel very strongly about that. So I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I acknowledge I'm an advocate on that one. But what I say to people on that is to a certain degree what the reality seems to be right now, and of course, Congressman Simpson's been saying this for 10 years, that if, you don't, if we don't do something locally, uh, somebody's going to come in and do it. And that looks like where we're at. The folks in Hawaii County, another issue that I've covered for the last uh, 15 years, after when Bruce Babbitt was done uh, with uh, Craters of the Moon, he went back and Jimmy Carter, I'm, Jimmy, I'm sorry, Bill Clinton, in his proclamation uh, press release said, I didn't have time to do the Hawaii's as a national monument, but it's clearly an area that deserves it. And that message was sent to the folks in uh, Hawaii County. They developed their own process and over, it took them about a decade to get it done, but and they worked with uh, uh, Senator Crapo, and in 2009, uh, they got their bill passed. And again, it's like so many things. They didn't get everything they wanted. Nobody got everything they wanted, but there is 500,000 acres of some of the most beautiful wilderness uh, we've got in Idaho. Yeah. Rocky, in your prepared remarks, you pointed out that there are a lot of Democrats that would not want to allow an Idaho Republican, namely Congressman Simpson, to be able to claim credit for protecting uh, vast acres of, of wilderness and thus place his name and face on the Mount Rushmore of Idaho icons who have protected uh, Idaho's wilderness, or something to that effect, yeah, that's slightly edited. But on the other side, how many Republicans would like to see a Democrat in the White House be given the credit for providing vast wilderness designation and protection of Idaho's cherished lands. Does it cut both ways? Well, it does cut both ways in a way, but you, what, what, what it, it cuts, there are certainly many Republicans who wouldn't mind that Obama, the, this man that they think is, uh, you know, the, uh, the imperial president, uh, it just would play out all of their rhetoric if Obama comes in and designates this area against the will of people like Wayne. And uh, it will, so, you know, I think there is, I, I think there is. And I have to tell you that some of the interest groups, they look at the monument proposal and they go, yeah, maybe we'd be better off to have that proposal and then we can yell at uh, Obama, but then get whatever we want, get what we want anyway. So those are the kind of things that you get, you bet. And don't forget, that the Republican Party in Idaho went on record against a Boulder White Clouds uh, protection. So, Now, in light of what you just said, uh, asking you to look into your crystal ball here for a moment, uh, do you believe the antipathy toward Obama and any credit that might be attributed to him might lead other members of our congressional delegation now to support Congressman Simpson's bill enthusiastically and wildly? Uh, I'm waiting for this answer. <laughs> you know, before this is done, if a wilderness bill is developed by Idahoans to get through Congress in the next six months, and that's kind of the deadline, if it's it, it might not just be Senator, it might not just be Congressman Simpson's bill. It might have somebody else's name on it, like Rish, you know? And, you know, I think, of course, that's how politics works, right? I mean, if they actually pull this off, it's going to be, uh, it's gonna have to be an Idaho, it's gonna be an Idaho bill, and, but they'll still have to get it through Congress, and they're still gonna have to have environmental support. I mean, can you imagine a wilderness bill that has, 
You know, I mean, it's got to, they still need to do it. But I will also tell you, people like Rick, uh, I, I could see it a moment where uh, uh, the environmental community is all, all over uh, uh, Congressman Simpson. But I will tell you that he's built a lot of trust with them that really culminated with two weeks before his election. He's at the Frank Church Conference on Wilderness, and he got up and gave one of the most impassioned defenses of the white clouds and wilderness that I've ever heard. And I, I went to, I, I went, I, I know, I knew Gaylord Nelson very well. Uh, I knew Sigurd Olson, one of the great wilderness authors. I mean, but I'll tell you, Mike, Mike Simpson's talk uh, at the Frank Church was one of the great uh, statements in, in, in favor of wilderness. So he'll probably have at least some trust that he'll be able to use as he does that. We'll see. Thank you, Rocky. Now, as it happens, as you know, uh, we have Congressman Simpson in our audience, and often I know the roles here are reversed. He's standing behind the podium. You're asking questions. But I think today, Congressman Simpson, and I note his pen and pad in hand, uh, as he stands up, is very likely going to want to ask you some pressing critical questions in a break from the usual city club approach here. Congressman Simpson, do you have some questions? Uh, yeah, I have a lot of questions, Rocky. I've been waiting for like 30 years to reverse the role here because I want to see how you answer some of these things. You think it's so easy for us. No, no comment. So, that's exactly what I said. So tell me, how do you think the uh, reporting has been on... Uh, on uh, this whole issue of the Boulder White Clouds Monument uh, wilderness and the public's perception of what a monument actually is. Because a lot of people come up to me and say, what the heck's the difference in the two? And why does it make any difference? So I, end up, I spend a lot of time trying to explain that. How about the Idaho press clubs reporting on this and uh, educating the Idaho public on it? We're going to see him sweat now. Yeah. <laughs> He's right. Um, you know, I don't think we've done a very good job on the monument uh, explaining it. And, and probably, uh, you know, the challenge is that I, I will tell you the administration won't talk to me on the record, period. And, and I've tried. So, you know, I think that that's a good point, though, that I just can't tell you what the administration's going to do. I can tell you what the environmentalists are telling them to do, and I can tell you what they want. And, and, but I think you're right, is that we've left it in this kind of big nebulous. And, but I also think that's why we got, you know, surprise, surprise, Custer County doesn't want a national monument. Gee, now that was a big surprise. <laughs> you know, 90%, uh, you know, how did you lose 10% or 5%, you know? <laughs> I don't know how that happened, you know? But, you know what I'm saying is that I think it goes on the other side is I think a lot of the uh, concern over monuments comes out of fear. It's a fear-driven thing, and I can't, all the reporting in the world can't change that. Well, those are pretty quick answers to really lengthy uh, questions, and I note the similarity now in terms of answering questions that we sometimes have when Congressman Simpson is here. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you know, of course, that President Obama, like all other presidents, enjoys broad discretion under the Antiquities Act of 1906 to establish a monument. You spoke to that. Is it well known that if, Cong that if, uh, if President Obama does establish a national monument, that it's fully within the power of Congress to overturn his action and essentially pass a, a new law? That's right. It's right. And in fact, uh, when uh, Bruce Babbitt and uh, President Clinton came in and, and changed the uh, uh, and expanded Craters of the Moon, uh, Congressman Simpson went back in and, and, and rewrote it and made, uh, made it so that it was clear where we could still hunt, for instance, and, uh, and, and some other changes in the boundaries. Hey, uh, you know, Jim McClure uh, wrote the, uh, made a national monument out of uh, the Hagerman horse. Uh, uh, Hagerman, is, is, that's a national monument that, that Congress passed. So, yeah, Congress has a, has a lot of room right now, but 
where else, what's interesting is there's bills right now in Congress which would like to have it so that the state has veto power on that. There's only two states that have veto power now. One is Alaska because they gave it the office, and the other is Wyoming because of the Tetons. And when the Tetons were uh, designated, uh, Wyoming uh, uh, got in and uh, actually made it a, a, a national park, and then, but then also wrote into it that there'll never be another monument in Wyoming unless the, uh, Wyoming agrees. And so if you were going to do a Caldera National Monument and protect all of that, you, can't, you have to stop right there at the line uh, on the uh, Beckler area. Mm -hmm. So one last question on this subject. We have a couple of others to, to ask you to address. If you look into your crystal ball, having reviewed this thoroughly, is it more or less likely uh, that the Simpson bill will, in fact, become law uh, by, say, next May of 2015? I think there's a window. I, I, I can't, I, 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 and I'll know. I think we'll know within, within a month and a half. It, we will know. And then it'll be, it won't be, it won't be for sure, but... It'll only be if there is a, uh, an Idaho effort and that Idahoans choose to put together an Idaho solution. If they don't, it's going to be a national monument. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. uh, you have many admirers in this crowd, many who have uh, read uh, your, your stories, your reporting on the environment for many, many years. Uh, one question asked, of all the subjects that you've covered, in your many years of writing on the West since 1985, what are the top two or three subjects that you've most enjoyed reporting about? Well, I can't help but include Yellowstone. Uh, I love the park. I love the greater Yellowstone area. And then I'd have to say salmon. Uh, I discover, didn't discover salmon as uh, really in a, uh, in a kind of personal way until 1990 when I was writing editorials with... Uh, uh, Jerry Brady, and I, uh, I just, you know, started walk going to a place called Marsh Creek, up there in the SNRA, and I just fell in love with. It's just an amazing animal, and it's one of the most. Uh, it it gives me hope, by the way, that you know, I know this is an issue that I wrote about last in my column last week and got quite a bit of letters. But it gives me hope that we're going to be able to get through all this climate change stuff because salmon are an amazingly adoptable animal, and I think they teach us, you know, that how we might be able to do it. We'll see. Great. Thank you. I'm afraid we've reached the end of our time. Uh, we regard you as a treasure here in eastern Idaho. Thanks for joining us again. Take care. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. The Idaho Falls City Club on KISU is supported by the Idaho Humanities Council, promoting good citizenship through civil discourse, civic engagement, and reflection on the public good. More information is online at idahohumanities.org.